Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. This is episode 10, and I have a real special guest. His name is Dan John. Say hello. Hello. Uh, to kind of just uh, start off, can you kind of like introduce yourself? Like, what do you do? How did you get into industry and kind of go from there? Well, I'm an instructor of religious studies for Columbia College, Missouri, and I'm a uh, senior lecturer for St. Mary's University of Twickenham, London in strength and conditioning. And I spend my weekends doing workshops on strength. I've written, I guess, nine books now. I'm working on my 10th. Uh, I write for Teen Nation and Men's Health. Um, I'm kind of a strength guy. I've been doing it, lifting weights since 1965, been coaching since 79. And uh, competed in just about every sport I possibly could. And had a light, great life, and here I am. It's quite the list. <laughs> um, kind of to start us off, I kind of want your opinion on kind of like your philosophy on fat loss and nutrition. Well, well, the problem is, you know, if you read a book like The Obesity Code, you know, you're it's going to be tough to to lose fat. It's going to be really, tough. you know, Art Devaney upset a lot of people years ago. A woman up asked him a question at a workshop. She said, uh, what's the secret to losing fat? And he said, don't get fat in the first place. <laughs> and it came off real bad, but the truth is, that's the truth. You know, um, that's, the, that's the problem with childhood obesity uh, or going away to college and drinking beer and eating pizza. Because uh, you don't, you, you change your, I mean, do you change your whole hormone profile? Maybe. Do you teach, do you, slow, you turn yourself into a bit of a diabetic? Probably. Do you, you know, do you mess with your blood profiles? No question about it. And then, of course, we have this answer, uh, move more, eat less. And it's a silly answer because that takes us right back to moral theology. That's gluttony and sloth or sloth. You know, oh, it's your fault. You're fat. You eat too much and you're lazy. Well, that's... That's not necessarily what always happens. So we know, I mean, the research supports that, you know, 19 out of 20, you know, 95% of fat loss is the nutritional side and only 5% is the exercise side. But I think that's probably true. But the problem is, is that the exercise side is the thing that seems to do the most to make you happy again. Movement tends to bring some joy back in your life. You know, uh, Greg Cook always says, move more, move better, move better, move more. And so we're in a tough place right now. Um, I think most of your audience knows that probably if they increase the number of vegetables they ate and drank more water, it'd be a good idea. Yeah. And it's fun. But go on a plane and find a vegetable. Go into an airport. Find, find I mean, you can get salads, but... They're those salads that are loaded with the orange slices and the, those little weird, I don't know, they're like dry noodles and stuff. And it's, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, okay, that's fine. Okay, you're going to drink more water. Well, all right, how much, you know, it's, so I think the answer is out there. It's just we're, we've put ourselves into a situation where it's tough. I know that if we got ourselves into a, oh, a setting, um, I mean, I don't know how many of your listeners grow their own food, but I mean, I, have, I do a very small amount of it. I mean, I do tomatoes, grapes, uh, parsley, a whole variety of mints, lavenders, and things like that. Mm -hmm. And just to something as simply uh, as simple as 
stocking a meal with tomatoes out of your own garden just changes your vision of the meal. It, it changes your relationship to the food. Um, you know, I just read that whole thing. It's called, again, on the French paradox, you know, how the French do this and this and this. But then they also forget to mention that most of the people in Paris walk well in excess of two miles a day. Yeah. So the exercise side helps them. But uh, we are in a situation where, you know, uh, I first heard this from Greg Shepard about, oh, gosh, got to be sneaking up on it's got to be 30 years ago now, oh. where he said that um, when we were growing up, and it's true, if you got yourself a bottle of this thing called Coca-Cola, it came in an extremely thick bottle that you're expected to return. You guys probably don't even remember this. Returning, and the bottles, I think, held nine ounces. And that was what a Coke was, a nine-ounce serving. Well, I see people showing up at the malls with, in track meets and theaters, 64-ounce servings of drinks. 64 ounces of a drink. I mean, come on. I mean, <laughs> just just the hit on your your pancreas with that much sugar going into it. I mean, we'll just start with the, you know, your insulin levels will go. And so I guess when you ask about fat loss, it's going to be, it's going to be one of those things where there's not an area of where your listeners are listening. I mean, there's religious impacts. I mean, God bless the people who believe in fasting because that's a huge boom to them. I mean, it's nice when the whole community is fasting. Of course, we now live in cities that are multi-religious, so you lose that. Mm -hmm. uh, but schools are doing their best. That ki The kids won't eat good food in America. and But when you go look at the plates of kids in Europe, you know, it's, it's a beautiful meal for lunch. Oh, the Swedes. I was just in Sweden not long ago. Lunch and dinner in Sweden is probably 30, 40 different vegetables. Wow. It's unbelievable. And then a piece of fish. Well, yeah, you're not going to get, you're going to be fine eating that. Uh, knock down a few beers because it ain't going to matter. So, you know, it's, it's the problem we have with, with fat loss is it's so multidimensional. Um, I, I mean, I'm from the Western tradition, mind, soul, body, and spirit. Um, if you focus just on the body, which might be fine, put yourself in diet prison and only get two meals a day of vegetables and whatever, uh, yeah, you would lose weight and if they made you electrified the floor so you had to exercise an hour a day. Uh, um, yeah. But for the rest of us, it is a multifaceted issue. Uh, I'm sure some of your listeners will talk about the emotional things. You know, I have friends have a birthday. Oh, we have to have cake. <laughs> Why is cake part of birthdays? You know, what? Yes. Oh, it's Halloween. Candy. Oh, it's the first day of school. Candy. Did your homework. Candy. You know, you showed up on time. Muffin and candy. Yeah. So I, I think we're at a tough issue. Um, the biggest thing to remember is that most people know the answer. It's just making sure you have enough forces in your life to, to deal with them. Now, before you even ask, the forces are the best, are habits. And that's why, you know, when I was at Utah State, Coach Mullen told us, make yourself a slave to good habits. And, um, Boy, I tell you, there's, <laughs> that's such a great insight. Um, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Follow, any questions, Paul? Uh, I was just going to bring up, like, it's so much different out on, like, even, like, Canada and the United States. Because I was just watching um, a documentary called uh, Where to Invade Next with Michael Moore. And he actually went out to France to see what they're doing with their kids in schools for lunch. And he showed that every month they have a dietitian 
a chef and like a city council for the school that meets together every single month and plans out all their lunches for the month. And I was like, holy crap, that's completely backwards what how the states have it where you get like hot dogs and fries for lunch every day macaroni cheese hot dogs fries oh i've seen it it's yeah. all brown and yellow food man uh, yeah so i mean so we are we are looking at a big issue you know uh i'm not a conspiracy theorist at all but you know um you know big food has become an issue in the united states they they control a lot of stuff so you know if you grow up without good habits how are you going to suddenly form them you know, it's really tough. Uh, most people think they have great self-discipline, but the amount of self-discipline most of us have is very small. And if you're swimming against the stream with all your friends and your family and your traditions, if you have traditions that are surrounded by by bad habits, you know, <laughs> every time someone does something, you serve, you know, sweets and it's going to be hard to not do that. You're going to look at those as comfort food, you know, for the rest of your life. It's just tough. Yeah, I like I also look at it where depending on how you grew up and how your parents perceived food, you'll probably develop habits what they're doing. So if they don't know what clean eating is, then you're probably going to follow their footsteps and then you're in the same place they were when they were an adult. Well, and then if you sneak back 30 years in our industry, when the six meal a day thing showed up, that somehow your body is every anytime you hear your jo- your body's a jet a jet engine, your body is an engine, your body's a machine, and it constantly needs you know great. Well, it's funny because there's no time in history, in human history, that constant eating ever was considered an elite way to do things. Um, it's just never part of it. Now, I'm not telling you intermittent fasting is 100% right or fasting is, is, is the answer to all questions. It's not a bad answer. But when the bodybuilders got into this six-meal-a-day thing, of course, the guys pushing it were also not on in articles and in their workshops, but were also pushing the early forms of growth hormone, anabolics, and everything else. Ooh, I forgot to mention that. You know, that, you know, if... You you can get rid of you can you can do a lot of sins if you have enough drugs in your body it'll clean up oh, yeah. issues and they forgot they just oops forgot to mention that small little side issue so we've been hurt in the fitness side uh, the fitness physique side of things from these kind of myths that showed up uh, of course drugs were so bad for but oh, that's a whole other story so you asked a very innocent question but I want people to know that it is much more uh, complicated than you think. Now, every person listening knows that they should roll out of bed in the morning, be grateful, get outside, uh, work out, have your eliminations, drink a lot of coffee, um, get your work done. Uh, and when you eat that first meal, it should be you know green and red and lush and protein and perfect. And then you know we all know that. And then of course, trying to transform that knowledge into your life. Is, is radically different. I always wanted to be a coach on Biggest Loser Hate. By the way, I find it the most offensive term at all time. But to get everybody up on like a northwest coast, uh, like an Oregon, and northern California, and have them all in a beach house where the meals would just be, to get to them, you had to walk a mile to every meal in the sand in those cold, in those cold wet, uh, moist areas. And I just and be kind to everybody, be nice as you can be, 
And but that was it. To get breakfast, you have to walk, walk a mile, eat, walk a mile, walk a mile, walk a mile. I just thought that'd be genius. It wouldn't make for good television because I wouldn't be screaming at anybody. But yeah. uh, if we, you know, if we could do something like that, it'd be fabulous. You know, um, when you, when even when you watch those terrible shows, one of the things that you come across with, and, and like you learn as a strength coach, you learn this is the emotional hit of food for those people. And it's interesting on my side, the emotional hit of tension and relaxation. Um, uh, real quick, uh, quick story. My daughter Kelly, the first time she ever deadlifted 275, picked the weight up. When she let go of it, she started sobbing. And I walked over and said, you know, what's the matter? You know, there's no crying in my weight room, you know? And she said, nothing's the matter with me. And it, it took me a year or two um, to unpack this whole story because when you go to a nine or ten on tension and then release your hands and go to one, you have an emotional hit. So that's why many women, when they're learning how to lift, get some interesting emotional, uh, because it's the many women, single moms especially, live at a tension level of five or six on a dial of ten all the time. Well, if you go from ten to one, you're going to have an emotional response and maybe sob. Or maybe it'll be the best thing you can for your raising your kids is that two hour that two workout it's a week where you deadlift, pull up and press, where you get it all out of you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it makes you a much better person. that's true for me. It makes me a better person after I train. So I'm I'm wondering if the emotional hit is just something we've you know, we just need to get do better on. You know, if com- if you had a rough childhood and food was your comfort item. Your response, even though you probably could talk to me intelligently and say, you know, I always put food together with happiness. Therefore, you can say that in sentence, but your emotions, like that great little movie with the emotions, uh, uh, I can't remember the show. Uh, I saw it on a plane, but it's a Disney film or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've seen that, actually. I can't remember the name either. Yeah, where the emotions all have their own little character. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure there's a food emotion up in the brain screaming, I want to be loved, you know? Yeah. So you asked a real simple question, and the, the correct answer is eat your vegetables, take your fish oil, drink water, and eat protein, and then go for a walk five days a week, lift weights twice, and then do something kind of, you know, makes you hot and, you know, like sprint up a hill once a week. There's your answer. Yeah. Now, there's your answer, and that is the answer. Now, good luck implementing that. <laughs> You know, it's like, I want to get a doctorate in uh, philosophy. Oh, that's easy. Yeah. What do you need to, where are you? Oh, I just graduated from high school. Not a problem. You, you're about to embark on it. You probably end up writing 10,000 pages. Uh, wait, what? You know, so yeah, the, the answer is easy, but the, the journey is a little difficult. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, I was talking to Kriska, Krista Scott Dixon, and I kind of asked her when, you know, PN coaches train their uh, clients online like at what point do they see like kind of like a breakthrough or like you know they get that light on like oh okay now I know what to do and she actually said like around that eight month mark is when people start cluing in like oh this is how you do it this is how I see success and I think a lot of people kind of like think that if they do a 30-day challenge they're going to be done and ripped and 20 pounds lighter <laughs> well it's it's interesting because you know in sports we we in high school football we call it the senior summer you know you have a boy as a freshman and 
they play and they're you know and they're fine. Sophomore they play and they're fine. Junior they you know they play and they're fine. And then one day you're walking down the hall their senior year and they'll say, hey, you know, and all of a sudden they'll have a vision of the game in not what they do, but in the vision of what the eleven do together versus the other eleven. But it takes three years for them to have that mental breakthrough that they're not just they are not just doing this but by doing this it's part of this orchestra of other people movement moving and if we all do what we're supposed to do great things happen well okay you've got to do a program you've got to have constant contact with someone for eight months before they get that boom now i get it i i i love kristen I, I, I think she's she's to me, always had a great respect for her. My God, I've been following her. Oh, 99, 2000, 2001, maybe. Oh wow! Um, it have to be, yeah. Um, she was one of the first voices on the internet, um, and 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 it's funny she says that because you know for us to turn an athlete, you know everybody wants a T-shirt that says elite, but it takes so long to get there because it's like. <laughs> it's like these things all have to kind of. I mean, I'm, trying, I'm doing a movie example. Everything just has to kind of come together, and all of a sudden, there's this snap of insight, and they go, "I got it." And you'll look at them and go, "What?" And they'll say, "I got to eat vegetables, take my fish oil, eat protein, and drink water." Right? It's always on day one. No, no, I know you told me that, but now I understand it. You know, it's you know, you, that's that's. That's the gap. That's the leap. That's the chasm. When they hear it versus when they kind of pour it into their bones and understand it. And that's the chasm. Yeah, I think a lot of people like just expect like the results to come so quickly, but they don't really fully understand the amount of time and effort you'd have to put in to see what they're expecting. And then... That's why I think a lot of people fail at this whole weight loss thing. They just want it as quick as possible, and then they fail at it, and they're like, oh, there's no point because I've tried everything. <laughs> right. Well, see, I, you know, it's funny because I see the way people do this in kind of almost a check mark, okay? kind of like Nassim Taleb does that so often with finance and some other things. I do think Tony Robbins is, you know, uh, the guy who wears black and uh, the motivational speaker. Mm-hmm. He is right about a lot of people. Uh, you might be able to sit down with somebody and uh, pour enough gasoline on their pain that they do in one, I'm going to slap my hands, one moment, have a change. But I think the bulk of us are what he would uh, Tal would call uh, flat tails. It takes a few steps, a few steps, a tiny baby steps, the work of BJ, B. J. Fogg, F-O-G-G from Stanford, who believes that the only way you can really have change is by the most tiny of steps at first. And then they gather momentum. Uh, I did his week-long thing, and one of my things was, before I took a shower, to do two push-ups. There's nothing to that. Well, what was interesting about it is I become a much better shower taker because at least I did it consciously for the first time since I was three, you know? And uh, before every alcoholic beverage, drink a full glass of water. Well, that's a very small thing, very easy to do. 
yet it makes you consciously aware that you're about to have another glass of alcohol. Um, so to me, those are the those are the only two ways to get there. The the tiniest tiniest set of habits. In fact, his website's called tinyhabits.com. Uh, the tiniest tiniest habits possible, looking down the line for improvement, or some kind of moment. Um, for many people, and this is terrible, and I'm sorry to even say this, but uh, uh, when the spouse comes home and says, "I'm leaving you," I've found someone else. That seems to be the moment where they begin to deal with their body uh, shape needs. So that much pain is the lever to drive them towards. uh, uh, I know in my, in in coaching, uh, I'd much rather coach a team that lost on the last play of the last game of last season than a team that uh, won the championship in the last play. Um, Pain is a much easier motivator I mean, everything I've done in my life came from pain. They proved that to us at the Olympic Training Center. It was fascinating to watch it. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so it's either got to be the big pain lever or tiny habits. Um, I hope I gave you some resources to help you on that. But to to do change, most people want to be medium. And medium just doesn't work very well in any aspect of life. No, not really. And, like, that pain thing I can totally relate to because – in high school, I was completely overweight. So, you know, kids making fun of you, girls never paying attention to you. That was my driver because I was like, you know what? I've had enough of this. Let's like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this right. And I like completely flipped my life around. And I think within two months, I like dropped 60 pounds out of nowhere. And I was a completely different person. It was crazy. Right, right. And uh, I have a friend who <clears throat> had the exact same story you have. Um, it'd be interesting if he would have been, you know, more <laughs> more normal if he'd be where he was right now. You know, now he's extremely successful, doing very well, very well, because he was the fat kid in high school. You know? Yeah. It's, isn't that fascinating, you know? But I love hearing those stories because it's like, you know, there's nothing else going into your brain other than, I need to lose weight. What do I need to do to get there? And it just happens. Like it was strange for me. Cause like I understand that weight loss is tough for people, but for me, for some reason, because I made it such a priority in my life, I almost felt like it was easy because I was like, Oh, if I work hard, it's going to change. If I continue to work hard, I'm going to see continue like process of fat loss. And I just, got like addicted to it almost and it just trickled on from there and yeah yeah yes Yes. um the next thing i was going to ask you what's your opinion about like macro counting because that's kind of like getting more popular nowadays and even clients of mine are asking oh like what do you what do you think of macros should i like start paying attention to them should i count all the calories that i'm eating and that whole thing uh, I think it's great if you're an elite uh, body comp person, but I don't uh, think, uh, I'm not sure it really helps a lot of others. Yeah, like that's why I always go back to like the small habits, like you yeah. said earlier, because it's attainable. Yeah. Oh, well, and I guess, you know, I mean, I've been out to dinner with people take pictures of their food and stuff. Yeah. And it's great. And the nice thing is, is what, 
in, in their defense, at least there's a knowledge of what you are. What do they say? If you take one, um, I heard that one of the best things you can do is store your food in aluminum foil. So you always have to take the extra moment to look at it. Okay, so you have to open it up and look to see what it is. Mm-hmm. That ex- instead of just reaching and grabbing a bag of chips, uh, that extra thinking seems to help. And, the, and, and, if, and if, if you're doing it for that, to give you that extra step of thinking, but I got to tell you, if you got two kids screaming in the back of the car for a one hour commute, and you come home and the dog pooped on the rug, and uh, <laughs> good luck counting your macros that night for dinner. Yeah. yeah. So I guess, you know, and it depends. Uh, you know, there's a lot of guys in the industry when they're about 21 or so will write their book on how to get six-pack abs. And I applaud them. In fact, sometimes I think there's great value to them. But, you know, I've been around long enough to be around five years later when the reality check comes in. And they're not talking about six-pack abs anymore. They're talking about, you know, much much more realistic things for the 26 to 36 year old human, you know? Um, no. So, you know, I agree with it, but here's the thing. The keto diets become the thing again. I mean, everything I turn to people are asking about keto, can this keto, that, uh, you know, the best progress I've ever made was on Atkins and Atkins and keto pretty much walking in hand. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, you know, two years from now, it'll be something else. There's always, you know, when you're doing ketogenic dieting, you know, your macros are, there's that one thing in the Atkins book. It's called the fat flush, maybe, fat uh, fast, where you eat like 2,000 calories a day of fat, you know, and it supposedly breaks any plateaus you have. Well, yeah, I hope so, man, because if it doesn't, what is, man? You know, it's like, well, well, I, and I'm not complaining. I'm just saying, holy cow, that's, uh, <laughs> you know, you, and it's all, and I remember that he, there was a concoction that was made of, uh, oh my God, it was butter, coconut oil, and some kind of uh, non, non-caloric non sweetener that had no insulin thing. Oh, man. Let's <laughs> just shovel that down, you know, and it's like, I hey. And if it does, if that, I mean, you know, if eating a can of lard, you know, gets you thin, I'm all in, you know. I got nothing again. By the way, please, nothing negative come to my mouth. If it works, it works, and we have to applaud it and nourish it. But, uh, boy, I tell you one thing, that's a hard, um, it is interesting, though, you go back in the history, 100 years, 70 years ago with diet, and what they're saying then is much more logical than what we're hearing now. Yeah. Yeah. No worries. I was just going to say, it's kind of funny how people that are so desperate for fat loss, they'll put themselves through such hell of a diet that they, you know, read online that somebody dropped 20 pounds in, in two weeks, but right. looking at, you know, making sure they have vegetables at every time they eat is like the hardest thing to do. Right. And that's why I think community is so important. Um, I mean, love or hate Weight Watchers, that weekly meeting where someone is walking the walk with you is very important. I think this new idea of, you know, uh, at our gym we call it intentional communities, uh, where you literally get together and work out. You you make a vow that you have to show up because people are counting on you. 
And I, I'm a real fan of that. I mean, if you were put into a uh, TV show where, you know, we all support each other, actually truly support each other on our uh, fat loss goals, I think good things would happen. And not the way they do it on the, that Biggest Loser with that weird, you know, sadistic style, which I, I'm not a fan of. But, you know, in a, in a true caring community, uh, interesting things would happen. Uh, I know this, if you moved into a monastery and you had to fast every day, um, you'd probably lean up nicely in a few months. You had to work and fast every day, you know. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think for, like, fat loss, depending on how old you are? Because obviously, like, if you're in your early 20s, you could go to McDonald's for lunch and then hit the weight room after and it won't even, like, leave a dent. But say somebody in their, like, 40s and 50s, like, what should they be focusing on for long-term weight loss? Well, by the time you get to your 40s and 50s, you know, you probably have already set up a hormonal cascade in your body uh, that's going to be rough to overcome. And I, 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 but let's talk about how you do, okay? Mm -hmm. um, you do make, make a funny point because if you go and look in the back seats of NFL football players, you'll always see bags of fast food. Always. <laughs> And it's true, you can, you can, you can eat. When I was at Utah State, my assistant coach, because I couldn't keep my weight up because I was Olympic lifting and throwing so much, he told me to drink beer uh, to get my body weight up. I was like, really? All right. <laughs> so, you know, 20 years later, you walk past a bag when you put on weight. Uh, that's one of the reasons I think you get to a certain age and you have to start looking at more of the classics in our world. I think after about carbs, they're not evil, but after a certain age, you just don't have the relationship you used to have with them. And you have to, you have to control your carbohydrates somehow. Um, you could do it by, I mean, you just, you just can't get away with eating six peanut butter and jelly sandwiches anymore. You just can't do it. You can't, you can't eat certain foods. You have to get a better relationship with carbs. And the way I think you do that is by, well, this is going to be pretty radical, just go with me, but either by eating two meals a day or by uh, instilling some layer of intermittent fasting in your life. You, I think you have to control hunger. So when you, if you to, you've got to practice controlling hunger and learning that hunger is just a thing. There's nothing wrong with it. And then, and then while hungry, make better nutritional choices. And you, you are an adult. You should be able to do that at, at those ages. But i got to tell you, it's tough to do. You, know, you come home from a long day, and uh, I call them cardboard carbohydrates, anything that's in a box or a bag. It's uh, real easy to open those things up and, and start pushing them down. Um, so really, after, I'd say after 25, your relationship with carbohydrates has to change. You don't need as much. Um, I think you need to eat more. If you're going to eat carbs, it's got to be in the happy vegetable world of carbs. Um, you need to be able, you have to have the courage to eat, you know, quality proteins and uh, get used to seeing meals with a lot of colors on them. Uh, in my book, Mass Made Simple, I just summarize it as eat like an adult, you know. Yeah, I think also in that book, you said to eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches too, right? <laughs> To build mass. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to get huge, now here's the funny thing. 
Uh, so you just did an interesting thing. Uh, I believe, like Oscar Wilde, one of the signs of an intelligent brain is to be able to hold opposing thoughts in the head. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of peanut. In fact, I tell my athletes, football throwers are trying to get big, you should always have a backpack with a loaf of bread, peanut butter, and jelly inside of it, and uh, something to spread it. Uh, it's a great way to meet girls, uh, because when you make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, it, it attracts females, <laughs> which is funny to say that, but everybody who does actually do that comes back and goes, you know, it's weird, it's true. Uh, it actually happens. But, uh, yeah, if you want to put on a lot of mass quickly, you know, you <laughs> so do the opposite, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you want to live a good life, you know, go to death row at a typical prison and ask the people, what, what decision process did you use to kill these five people? Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. And then do the exact opposite. You know, you know, um, and if you want to, you know, do certain things in life, find people that you find, you know, to live quality, quality lives, ask them what they did and, and then do it exactly. Um, that's actually been something I've done my whole life. I just, <laughs> I found good mentors and, uh, <laughs> just do it. Hey, I was told to put 10% of my money when I first started, I earned $9,000 a year and put away 1100, um, in six months, I get all that money. I get to pull out all that money, you know, because I put it into an IRA. It just cracks me up to say that. Because when I started doing this at age 21, 59 and a half seemed like a million years ago. But good people I trusted told me to do that, and they were absolutely right. Uh, you should do, okay, in the weight room, you should do fundamental human movements and keep your reps and sets appropriate and your load appropriate. You want mobility? Do bear crawls and, you know, do hip flexor stretches. You want to do fat loss? Eat your vegetables. You know, drink water, and you know, um, go for a walk now and again. You know, <laughs> that one thing I said is shocking. You know, <laughs> if you want a good education, show up and do your work. But show up and do your work, both of them. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's what I always tell clients when they, you know, don't have the motivation to show up to the gym or. You know, they rather go outside because it's sunny and hot and sit on a beach. I'm like, honestly, just show up. Even if you have no energy, you just do cut down the volume by 50% and you'll feel like a million bucks after. And now your brain's going to remember that feeling that next time when you think, oh, should I go to the gym? You're going to want to go to the gym. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I wish there were more secrets. I really do. <laughs> Um, we, we always have this joke at our discus camp. Come learn the secrets of discus throwing. Now, the secret is stretch one, two, three, ten thousand times a year. I mean, it's, there's no. The joke is there is no secret. You know, uh, there's very few. There's very few real secrets to life. And I make this joke a lot. I beat it to death lately, but go with me on it. I call, I call it the three F's in life: fitness, finance, and relationships. And there's a lot of people out there. Do you get the joke? FFR. Yeah. The three F's of life, fitness, finance, and relationships. <laughs> well, if you don't, email me that one. <laughs> but when it comes to affairs of the heart, you know, you can, I was at a bar recently and this guy was on Tinder and he was doing that little thing they do with Tinder with his fingertips. Yeah, and yeah. He probably popped the Viagra and went to a bar and got a finger. <laughs> Six months from now, he's going to sit down with me. And he goes, well, you know, how do you have such good long? How do you have such good relationships? And it's like, because I didn't find the fast path. 
you know, if you want to make a lot of money, invest in yourself, you know, academically. Invest in your spouse a lot. Pick a, uh, buy quality goods, buy quality services. Um, put money aside for emergencies. Put money aside for some future fortune, and live, live, you know, off less than you earn. Um, everybody knows that, right? Yeah. And in the weight room, you get strong by the fundamental human movements. You, if you want to be a better runner, you run. You want to be a better swimmer, you swim. There are no secrets. There, and it's true in every important aspect of life. And the victory goes to those who learn learn those secrets sooner. Well, secrets. The, learn that the basics triumph sooner. That's all. Yeah. Um, the next thing I was going to ask you is like motivation, because I find during the summer especially, people tend to uh, skip out on the things that they should be doing and kind of playing hooky. Like, how do you keep your motivation going out throughout the whole year? Well, Dan Millman wrote a good book called The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. And Millman's mentor, Socrates, has an interesting point about motivation. I don't believe in motivation, just straight up, just so you know that, okay? Mm-hmm. I don't believe in it, okay? Um, and uh, what Socrates does is he attacks uh, Dan Millman. He attacks him, just goes after him, starts, you know, wailing on him. And he goes, you know, do you need motivation? And if, I mean, what's your motivation, you know? Uh, you know, your, your child falls into a, a pool doesn't know how to swim, uh, do you need to be motivated to go save that child? Uh, I look at, see, I look at athletics and things that way. It's like, uh, for me, uh, the motive, I'm much more motivated by losing than I am by winning. Uh, I know that sounds awful, but I, that's me. So for me, motivation's a tough one. Uh, I'm a much bigger believer in establishing lifelong habits that pay huge dividends in performance. Now, having said performance, i got to break down three more words for you. So health is the optimal interplay of the human organs, okay? Your heart is hearting, your liver is livering, and all that. Longevity is the quality and quantity of your life. And DNA is a big one there. Habits are huge there. And luck is a factor there, too. Then there's a thing called fitness, and this is the problem in our industry. Fitness is the ability to do a task. And that's all it is. Most people like to swim fitness into health and then swim fitness over into performance. Performance is when they put the spotlight on you, call your name, what do you do? So the one problem we'll have in this whole talk, and as your name pronounced, Ray, Raphael or Raphael? Close, Raphael. Raphael. Yeah. Raphael is that um, I come from a performance sports background so for me, I look at two things. I look at performance for my personal self, and I look at longevity because I want to I want to dance at my granddaughter's uh, wedding. Okay. Yeah. So uh, when we talk about these things, I make a lot of decisions through the matrix of will this help? Will this get me to that wedding or not get me to the wedding? So for me, I'm, I'm not a big fan of like the extrinsic kind of motivation, win one for the Gipper kind of stuff, you know. You know what I mean? I, I'm not, woohoo, let's do this, you know. Uh, every workshop I have, I make a little joke, and, uh, I, uh, you know, uh, it's the montage scene from movies, you know. Yeah. Which, yeah. 
as a, as a coach for as long as I've been, I hate that montage. I hate it. You know, they all the kids they were fighting before they got to the all. It was racially divided team. And they all hate each other, and the rich kids hate the poor kids. You know. But we start doing wind sprints together, and one guy says, USA. And then all of a sudden, you know, white guy high-fives a black guy, and we've cured, uh, you know, racism in America forever when we go win the football game. I, I hate that kind of thing. I, I loathe it. Because what really what really gets you to the, to the you know, well, at least in the, the fight for the championship is showing up every day and taking care of the small things. You know, and so that's the importance of, long-term habits and you know it's it's like it's like saving money you know you have to have an emergency fund but you also have to have a fund for this far off day that you'll be your dreams will come true and so for me motivation is is more about let's take you know it's the day-to-day showing up that's that trumps it for me now you might bring in others you know uh people who disagree with that and I'm fine but for me that's how I focus on it okay 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 like it almost sounds like if you had a goal of you know being able to uh, chase after your grandchildren and not you know be gassed then I guess that's kind of enough motivation for you to show up to the gym knowing that every time you show up you know you're getting to your goal one day at a time it's just you say that because Tony Robbins uses that as a lever to prod people who still aren't motivated. They don't want to change. He uses something like that. He takes that. If you continue smoking and you know you weigh 400 pounds and you're smoking, if you continue that, you're going to miss your child's wedding, your son's wedding, your daughter's wedding. Uh, you're going to miss the graduations. And you use that wedge to pry people around the corner of showing up. Uh, again, you know, it's it, not everything works all the time, but those are the, you know, for me, I personally, we just, uh, I like practices like today, our workout today was just, I would say, absolutely dull. We just moved from thing to thing to thing. And we got the work done and then we had brunch. And it was nice. And, but it was, there was no high fives. There was no background bum 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 bum. There was no background music. Nothing was cured. It was we just took care of business, and everyone will show up tomorrow and we'll do it again. And the odd thing is, over time, those are the things that work best. Yeah, just yeah, plain old, old hard, hard work. work. Uh, consistent hard work. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, and ideally, you're improving. And and the problem, see, I like I like those little improvements that you don't necessarily see. Kind of like save, kind of like the same way you save money, you know, it, little and often over over the long haul. I'm a fan of that in every aspect of my life. A little here, a little there, a little here, and pretty soon it's, it's a massive, the snowball effect. Okay, um, but that that's me. So that's that's where my mind's at. Okay. okay. Uh, so the next thing I was going to ask you, let's kind of shift into like the exercise realm now. Um, how strong is strong enough for someone that's like a regular Joe that's just going to the gym to get healthy? Like, what's yeah. your opinion on that? Yeah, my book intervention that goes through this pretty clear. It's a little harder on the female side, but let's start with that. According to my friend Josh Hellis, he's a 
expert in female fat loss. Um, he says that if a woman can do three dips, three pull-ups or chin-ups, and either deadlift or squat 135 for five, universally they have their body comp goals. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, and yeah. interesting is that uh, I just recently helped a woman, an older woman, uh, prepare for a bikini, nude, and lingerie shoot, and she's in her late 40s. Well, she got up to two sets of five pull-ups, and all of her body comp dreams came true. Because the bigger that engine is, the better you look. On the men's side, uh, I usually say you should be probably able to bench your body weight. It'd be nice if you could do, you know, probably five pull-ups. It'd be nice if you could squat your body weight and not look like a complete fool doing it. Uh, I like the double body weight deadlift still, but I don't mind if it's out, you know, if you're built funny, you know, you're built like a normal person, uh, doing it from the knees on up in the rack. And then I like to see people uh, uh, carry their body weight, farmer walk their body weight. How far doesn't really matter, but they should be able to put either the weight on a trap bar or the weight in dumbbells or kettlebells and walk away. I'm a big believer in that as a standard. If you're at those those levels and you want to grease it up a little bit, that's great. But for most men, you're you're okay there. You're okay. Uh, but once you get, say, over 15 reps in the body weight, over 15 squats with your body weight, um, 15 pull-ups, over 15 pull-ups, um, it's the weight room ain't your problem if you're not getting your goals. Yeah, you're, I, you're strong enough. Yeah, like those are uh, pretty good. It's just again, if you're showing up, you'll eventually get there, but it'll, yeah. it'll take a little while. <laughs> well, I mean, it's misquoted, but um, I, I wrote an article years ago about doing 15 reps in the overhead squat with body weight, and people said, "My God, I can't do that." Right? I know you can't. Well, I can't even overhead squat body weight. Yeah, I know. Okay, fine. Well, should I do this? No, you don't do it. It's it's just a thing, a, a, a thing a coach in California used as a standard. Oh, well, should I do it? No. But well, what would be the process of doing it? Well, learn how to overhead squat first and then put weight on the bar and add some reps. And over time, if you really think it's important, you'll get it. Well, that's not much of a program. Well, yeah, it's the best program to come up with because it's the most true program there is. You know, how do you increase your pull-up? You do pull-ups, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think the best is when uh, I get, like, the male clients that, say, read an article that, hey, did you know that Ryan Reynolds did this in his workout? We should be doing that. <laughs> well, God bless him for that. <laughs> yeah. The Hollywood thing is always tough, you know. Uh, I've had the opportunity. Some of my friends uh, coach very famous people in Hollywood and uh, the fashion scene. And one of the things they will tell you is that the average Hollywood person trains harder than most people ever have the concept of training hard. Now, having said that, if you're going to be up on the screen that's, I don't know, 40 feet tall and 60 feet across, you probably want to, you know, you probably want to look good when you do it, you know, uh, I think. So, but they, they train very hard. And, uh, but one thing they also have is money. Um, if, if you have money, I would hire a cook and a full-time assistant to keep you from putting junk in your mouth. I would never, I would just have a cook, cook all my meals and have someone 
whose job it is to keep me from putting things inside my mouth that weren't on the nutritional the nutritionist thing. And if you have enough money, you hire someone to get you out of bed in the morning and make sure you work out. That'd be That'd awesome be- just to have somebody like this swatting bad food out of your mouth. <laughs> yeah, they said that about Roseanne Barr got, was it Roseanne Barr got leaned up for a thing and her ex, one of her ex-people who worked for uh, said something along the lines is they must have had two people working full-time keeping her from shoving stuff in her mouth. Uh, and I didn't think that was very nice, but that seemed pretty true. Um, so last question for you. What has, like, what's the stupidest thing as a fitness trend that you've seen lately that you can't stand? It's such a huge, huge number. <laughs> well, we, we got time, right? <laughs> well, there's always, it's, it's, it's nonstop. I mean, it's the, you know, these 90 day DVDs that come out, these, Secret formula, you know the, you know these, just the junk and the nonsense and the noise. Um, I, you know, it seems that you know CrossFit's that you know starting to disappear finally. Um, you know, I mean, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they're like, "Oh, CrossFit will be around forever." I say, "You know, 1980, I came to a city to uh, compete in Olympic lifting meet, and I asked the, the person, is there a gym nearby?'" And they showed me a list. It was probably 12 novels gyms. There were no other places open in the area. Every gym was a novelist gym. And you, most of your audience won't even know what novels machines are. Um, ten, you know, you go ahead just five or six years later, later I want to go to a gym and it'd be a Jane Fonda step aerobics place. And you, you bounce ahead a few years later, it'd be hardcore bodybuilding. Those places all disappeared. Well, actually, they turned them in, they morphed them into, I mean, whatever you would want to call I think they're called Vasa. Gold's Gym is now called Vasa now. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, these places have all turned into these cardio centers, you know. And I got nothing against it, but, um, you know, you do what you got to do. Um, fitness trends that bother me the most. Oh, it's been around a long time, but anytime someone tries to be tactical or badass or everyone starts showing up in camo gear or dark black stuff because they're ninjas. I hate that. I hate that. I come from a very military family. So pseudo military, pseudo combat, just I'm sitting right here next to a little thing. I've got all these things from the military, the guys I work with. I got three brothers who served in Nam. My dad served in World War II, lost a cousin in Korea, lost family members. And um, my cousin was one of the only survivors on the USS Arizona. My family's bled deep and hard for this country. And it bugs the shit out of me when people act like little warriors in the gym. I loathe it. I hate it. (laughs) I just can't stand it. It's like when you're around high school kids and they try to act like they're in the NFL. You're not. Quit your prancing and get get back to work. Earn earn the right to act like a jackass at that. Sorry for swearing at the end of that. fine. Yeah. <laughs> I think the other one that's popping up a lot now is uh, like the YouTube personal trainers that you know have their secret to fat loss and. Oh, yeah. I think well, there's I- another guy actually just now that's been popping up that he's like, I think in his forties or fifties and he's always without a shirt on with like women around him. <laughs> 
Now that's always going to be a thing, my friend. Always. Yeah. And you know, I mean, you know, it's that's just the nature of what we do. But you know, I've always defined uh, you know fitness as the ability to do a task, and I'm I have this wonderful ability. My fitness. One of my uh, interns just got uh, got into this very elite master's degree program, strength and conditioning, and I was a, I'm able to help her financially. So I'm fit to help in a lot of different ways besides just where your hand should be in the curl. Yeah, so, you know, I'm fit to help you move your couch. I'm fit to, you know, <laughs> change a tire like I had to do the other day. So sometimes, you know, you have to be real careful uh, about the, the the guys my age without their shirts on who, you know, live in a, live in a van down by the river eating government cheese. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a tough one for me. Uh, so last one, um, what is kind of like your next project that you're doing or any kind of speaking engagements and where can people find you on the interweb? Well, my next talk is down in Costa Rica. It's four days. Uh, then I'll go off to uh, New York with mental meatheads and then I'm going to, uh, I'll spend the entire month of uh, October in Ireland. I do a couple of kettlebell certs in November and December. Um, I'll be in Denmark this year. Uh, I'll be in uh, Germany, Ireland, England, a couple, a couple times in England because I work there and I also do workshops there. Um, but yeah, danjohn.net uh, is the best place to find. I don't always put my, my schedule up because, you know, if you live in Omaha and I'm doing a workshop in Denmark, it doesn't really doesn't, matter. Doesn't, yeah. So, and, I, and I also think it's the job of the local the local person to get the because I just you know I can go on social media and say I'm doing this but it doesn't the, the dots don't always connect if you follow my point mm-hmm. uh, yeah I've got a, I've got a busy I'll be in uh, this year I've been I've gone to Europe twice a month almost the whole year um, my my wife calls me David Hasselhoff because I'm huge in Germany <laughs> which just kind of makes us laugh but uh, it's delightful uh, so far this year I've flown and this is August uh, 175,000 miles on Delta Wow. Which might not mean much to you guys, but that's seven times around the world. Jeez. Yeah. So that's the issue this year is not getting broken apart from all the travel. Yeah. Uh, the other project I might work on my next book, it's called Now What? And it's what you do after your programs, what you do after you assess. It's the, the mental aspects of everything that we do. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to. My, my, I have a little vision in my books. Uh, there was a book on how to choose movements. Uh, there was a book on how to assess. This book is now what? Okay, you've assessed, now what? You know. Yeah. And uh, one of my goals down the line is to have one, take all the best parts of all those books and you know, slam them into one. You know. Sweet. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. That's all cool. I got for you. Yeah, thank you. That worked out nicely. Yeah, that was perfect. So guys, hopefully you enjoyed Mr. Dan John on episode 10. Again, if you have any feedback or questions, please email me at rafael at empowerhp.ca. Also, make sure to check out the brand new website, cuttheshitgetfit.com, with any news, updates, and all the latest uh, podcast episodes. And again, if you could like, subscribe, 
review, share the crap out of this episode. That'd be awesome. And we'll see you guys next week.